Welcome to the Heroic Hour podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas McGill, Chief Experience Officer for Heroic Media. And on this podcast, I give you a little technology, leadership, and culture, or as we like to call it, a little heroic TLC. In this episode, we're going to open the can of worms and take our first swipe at the big topic of big data. And much like the force, big data is all around you and it's bringing people together in new and exciting ways, but it's not a mysterious force that controls the universe. So we're gonna talk about the ins and outs of how it works, why it's important, why you should care about it, and what's going on in that world. So anyway, let's get started. First off, what is big data anyway? What the heck are we talking about? There's all these new sources of data out there and thanks to all of the smart devices that we increasingly seem to create and buy and use, uh, we're recording all of these, these measurements, movements and behaviors. And there's way too much of that information flying around for any one person to make sense of on their own or with the help of a, a pen and paper. But thanks to a little computing horsepower, there's all of these analytic tools that help take this huge, um, these huge vats of data, these huge data sets, and they use them to reveal patterns, trends, associations, especially relating to human behavior, supposedly, and of course, interactions. And the insights that come from all of that can help people and businesses learn, grow, and advance and form more effective strategies in many different areas from medicine to marketing, you name it. Uh, big data is an incredibly useful thing. Now, that said, there's also this kind of default growing narrative out there that says, well, if we're able to do all of this with this much data, why not pile more fuel on that fire and keep it going? And so that brings an important question, you know, does, does more guarantee better? Does more data, more raw fire hose data equal good? you know, for you, for your practice, for your organization? Does it give you a competitive advantage? Does simply consuming more data give you an advantage? In business in general, big data as, as a term gets tossed around like a magic spell for business, right? The, the reality is, again, it's not a cosmic force that controls the universe. And despite the incredible th things that these new data tools can do, they're also not perfect. And they come with new challenges um, for businesses and, and people and society, right? And unless you can quickly filter down the data you're looking at or even the analysis that you're looking at into actionable intelligence that leads to positive gains, uh, the answer to that question about is more simply better or does more guarantee better is a resounding no, of course not. Are you able to effectively and efficiently leverage your current data and analytics tools now, or are you overwhelmed? If you can't effectively leverage the information, you know, into actionable intelligence, like simply consuming more or trying to consume more information isn't really going to help you. And this is the case for organizations, large and small, from mom and pops all the way to the enterprise. They struggle to figure out how to respond and address their data strategies. And so that's what we're going to dive into. 
And one of the first questions that comes to mind when talking about uh, big data is something that often goes neglected, which is in, in the first place, who benefits from selling you the idea that more is better? Or, or when we're talking about consuming more versus simply consuming better to begin with. Right? If you're struggling with calculating the ROI on your big data initiatives, you're not alone. Many are reluctant to ask their, their peers, um, their colleagues about it. Others don't want to talk about it, but it's a big pink elephant in the room that needs to come to the top of the agenda, as does the culture that finds it appropriate to discuss it. It's a hot business buzzword right now, but it's not a magic spell. Now, the reason it's not so readily discussed or this aspect of who benefits from selling you the idea of more versus better uh, is that no one wants to appear out of touch or disconnected from uh, apparent best practices. But how do we know that they are the best practices? Who decides that? And the reality is that the people selling you the story that more is better are the same people selling you the big data services that you're paying a subscription from so they benefit from perpetuating that story in the first place. And who am I talking about here? Well, the leading providers of big data, analytics, and business information and insights in general, including management review literature, insights from research firms, all of these guys, uh, they, they have a trending support of vague definitions and vague prescriptions, uh, uh, and they love to support anything new until the real data and evidence uh, to the contrary, is overwhelming and undeniable. So a lot of the business magazines, a lot of the solutions providers, a lot of the research centers in business tend to make recommendations that are vague, that are magical, that are vacuous. And especially in this attention economy, you can't really trust business magazines who are now more than ever operating like gossip columns to pander for that attention in the first place. And they're also modifying their business models to become so solution providers in and of themselves. So they're not neutral parties to begin with. The major research firms are, are also selling that data. Um, and they also are deeply entwined with these media models. So their information too, the raw data that they sell or the insights that they sell and the tools as well begin to fall suspect. And you begin to look at this this glut that you may or may not be inheriting from the big from the big data tools that you um, buy into. Now, in in their defense, there's also this other side of this, which is, you know, why is the ROI of big data initiatives? Why is that ROI such a difficult difficult question to answer? And and the reason is that big data is a big topic. Right? It affects the entire organization in just about every department. Big data isn't one thing. It's not one strategy. It's often a whole lot of things and involves many strategies. Here are a few questions to consider regarding uh, big data. What market research tools should, you, should sales and marketing teams use? That's, that's a question that big, you know, you're going to have a big data solution for. You know, what top sheet analyses and dashboards should leadership look at? What providers have business models positioned and depended upon to, to provide the most relevant, actionable information? So what models, what data tools are you dependent upon now, right? And, and which ones are providing truly relevant, actionable information? Here's a hint. Very few of them, right? 
what are the most relevant signals to pay attention to? What are the true KPIs? Because there's a lot of junk food KPIs, which of course are key performance indicators. And finally, how are data sources prioritized, right? How do you know which one's the best? How do you rank them? And who's doing the ranking? These are but a few of the dizzying questions in the grand scheme of big data, right? And the, the reason that ROI is continuing to be elusive in these conversations is that answering the question is being, you know, it's, it's often delegated to the middle of the organization, to the technical guy who understands all of this, and it's not clearly understood at the top. However, there's also these outside third parties, your advisors, who are also on the front lines and they get their hands dirty in, in multidisciplinary ways. They're cross-functional, they're thinker builders, right? It's easy to identify uh, opportunities when you're a thinker builder because you can leverage and refine efforts and measure the impact of your results against the data tools and the models that you're using. So you can come up with um, specific strategies for various departments, industries, and, and those data sources. But not all advisors are created equal to begin with, right? Many are not multidisciplinary. Many are not thinker-doers. They're just thinkers. And they provide, you know, 20,000 feet pie in the sky aerial view strategies without the background of firsthand experience in many of these areas. So it begs the question, you know, when it comes to your thought leaders and advisors, what additional motives might they have that keep them silent when or, or, or vague or um, obfuscating or making big data and ROI in big data more complex? What additional motives do they have? Well, you know, many leaders uh, and advisors have tied their careers onto this, this buzzword concept. They're riding the wave of big data and, and they're betting the farm that it'll pay out. And when the room goes silent on the ROI question, just as, you know, it has been jumping into the details for other big business buzzwords like social media and holacracy structures and all these other terms, when people get called to the mat on these terms, in terms of like, what do these things specifically mean? How do we figure out what our strategy is and what our tactics? When the room goes silent and your advisors go silent, you know you have a potential problem. So there are a lot of advisors out there who can describe the wave. They can describe the buzzword or the concept at 20,000 feet. They can describe what it looks like and its potential benefits, and but that's about it. Many of them have proudly championed these topics at that 20,000 feet level, but they haven't, ha they don't have a clue in terms of how to put it into practice or integrate and align it with the important parts of the organization. And to bundle that up in a nice way, let me put it to you like this. Many advisors want to ride the wave of hype, but don't know how to surf, right? When it comes to big data, they, they want to ride the wave, but they don't know how to surf. And they want you, of course, to pay them uh, for their advice. So it kind of creates um, another, another tactical advantage uh, when you're an advisor, uh, especially with big data, because it's complex, it's murky, it's vague, it's untenable, right? It, it becomes a useful tool for all of these third parties out there um, to obfuscate, to, to hide in the complexity, to hide the truth in this complexity. And many professionals, knowingly or unknowingly, uh, directly leverage 
complex, ill-defined concepts to insulate their business model or, or their department and to protect themselves in a few ways. I'm going to give you some practical examples. So like VPs, product managers, sales managers, marketing managers, they all like to hide in metrics and charts and analyses to bury the truth and complexity. They do this all the time, right? Uh, this isn't just a bad practice for them, though. It's not just their fault. Uh, it's not just their responsibility either. It's symptomatic of a disingenuous culture and industry and work environment that would blame and punish and fire them for sounding the alarm. So, so there's this traditional problem where in various industries, people shoot the messenger. Happens all the time. It's not right. We know it's not right, but it is very, very common. And so this is what happens when employees don't trust that their employers don't have their backs for being honest. We create big data tools, we create metrics, we back metrics that are that are vague, that we haven't back tested at all. You know, and even though the organization claims to value integrity and stuff, if if there's no trust in that that culture, it's easy to begin to use these defense mechanisms like obfuscation and it because it ensures that whomever is providing the information, they live to fight another day. Okay, let's pick on my industry for a minute there. Let's talk about advisors and consultants and tech providers and software as a service providers. We rely on big data tools and their partners to validate and augment our value propositions and rationalize our super huge exorbitant fees. Yes, I just outed the entire industry for that um, because I'm not reliant on obfuscation through big data models to validate exorbitant fees. I've got a massive ego for that. I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, it's it's true that uh, showing you charts and pretty tools, um, especially when they look extremely complex, it seems to basically hack the brain, right? I present you with information that's visual, persistent, and interactive, and abracadabra, you buy whatever the heck I'm selling. But, you know, analytics metrics and research models you know they've been leveraging these brain hacks kind of for years and dumping bad bad data in with the good to upcycle it and bundle it into even more expensive market research products now what i mean by that is there's all these market research products that that were started way back in the 50s right like on classic demographics things that we look at and probably take for granted in in google analytics in in facebook uh the, their marketing platform as well there's a lot of that there's a lot of added glut that isn't really helping you make informed decisions, but it helps these companies with these legacy products bundle and compare them and, and bring them together in hybrid products that are more psychographically based or based on interests and charge you an insane amount of money for what you should be paying pennies on the dollars for when all is said and done. So consultants, advisors, software as a service providers, they all partner with these people to validate findings, surveys, studies, all of that stuff all of that market research, they need to throw up the hype bubble to make it worth billions. This is how the economy really works. Not a lot of people know this or, or obviously care to talk about it uh, if they do because their business model is dependent upon these things. Now, another crazy idea that is totally encouraged um, by all of these industries surrounding the big data dilemma is the idea that, that you know, there should be the strategy that if it's good by the gallon, it'll be great by the barrel. And you should have more insights, more dashboards, more data sources than anybody else. 
And, you know, if you've looked at insights from the key research firms of, of like the major business research firms, you can see that this really isn't true. It's not getting leveraged effectively inside even the biggest of businesses. Usually these efforts result in more vague correlations or, or obvious observations like that, that amount to saying the sky is blue. Right? Even though these firms have access to all of this data, they come out and say something innocuous like, oh, yeah, the sky is blue. Um, people shop by interest and all of these other vague validating things that people spend, organizations spend a lot of money to know. My point here is bigger data, more data doesn't always mean nor does it guarantee better data or the right information. Now let's uh, shift gears a little bit and uh, take a trip in the hot tub time machine just, I don't know, a few years ago, less than a decade ago, before we were talking big data, we were really talking about the wisdom of the crowds. That one you probably have heard before. A lot of people out there are talking about relying on the wisdom of the crowds. Well, the concept or definition has seemed to water down to equal you know, the wisdom of the masses, which is a little bit different than a targeted collective intelligence, right? This, too, is a form of big data, the wisdom of the crowds, and this, too, is limited. So people fling around this concept as if it has no downside. But once you get, uh, you know, populism or popular stupidity uh, alongside a popular wisdom, it really waters down the value of the data you're looking at. It doesn't always benefit you to have many voices in the room, especially if they're not informed or not aligned to what you're looking to achieve and not interested in purchasing what you have to sell. So the, the raw wisdom of just the masses, this more data equals better, you can already tell that that's inherently diluted. It doesn't sound right, right? This is how you make idiots popular, right? It's, it's these dumb ideas that waste insane amounts of money on, on these concepts, the idea that more opinions, more voices, more inputs, you know, will guarantee better is, is a myth. This isn't smart business. It's, it's not smart practice. People who believe this assume that the crowd, all of the people in the crowd, or a majority of them, are intelligent, they're rational, unselfish, and well-informed, oh yeah, and perfectly motivated, right? Even for their own sake. But these are the faulty assumptions that are exactly what gave rise to the field of behavioral economics as an area of study. Because lo and behold, we as human beings do not behave in perfect ways. We are notoriously irrational. And so it, it becomes very difficult to model that behavior and leverage data tools that rely on reason and rationality as a dominant factor. Or even, especially when you're trying to decide a strategy, if you think of a simple bell curve, think of all the people in the average college course. A majority of them are not perfectly motivated to get an A, but an A-level mentality and an A-level strategy is exactly what's required of leaders of organizations, of startups. It is the difference between success and failure. It are all of the attitudes and mindsets and uh, attention to de detail, study, discernment, mastery, the masters are who you want to collaborate with. So this concept of wisdom of the crowds, this concept of big data, you got to be mindful with it. You want to make sure you want the right data, the clean data, the lean data, the pure data, right? And the discerning data. You really need filters around that. 
And the reality is a majority of people are not super discerning, nor do they value the things that your target market is focused on. So just be careful, be mindful about uh, big data. And also, you know, before I leave you with some tips, you know, there was, there's a great movie, Three Amigos, and, and Chevy Chase, I think he plays Lucky. He's one of the Three Amigos. He's in the bandit side out. He, he's playing a Mexican bandit. Um, and they're they're discussing their plans, and he goes, he he makes a statement, something like, "We'll rape the horses and ride off on the women," and it's and it's a funny concept. I know it sounds ridiculous, and it is a funny movie, but when you're talking about the wisdom of crowds or big data and the aggregate results you get, um, imagine that you have a crowd in that that scenario that's 51% male, 49% female. And, and you get, you're going to get bad decisions, right? You're going to get decisions that go with strict populism um, or wisdom of the masses really quick. you got to be very careful about how these models emphasize and grade their recommendation because there's a lot of bunk science out there and a, bun you know, a bunk sense of uh, statistical uh, relevance that goes into a lot of these models that many of the providers do not want you thinking of. And once you filter out the stupidity and the nonsense and the actions that are out of alignment with the culture, the brand of the organization, and how it practices and its standards, you're down to what? Are you down to the wisdom of the masses or, or the wisdom of a smart targeted crowd? You know, that, you know, if you're down to that, that crowd in the, the first place, we're not really talking about big data. We're talking about smart data. Bottom line, wisdoms of the crowd, it isn't a solve-all or a replacement for critical thinking, and that's really important when we're talking about uh, big data. So, as an organization, large or small, how do you make the organization data smart, right? An efficient way to address this uh, big data uh, concept company-wide without creating a, a big data drag or that glut from wasting all of these resources on all of these tools and analyses and all of this is to make the organization more resilient to the uh, bullshit in the first place. And, and bullshit is really what it is. You have to insulate the entire organization from BS, right? And so the best way of going about this that I've found, uh, again, you know, I have a long history of working in technology, leadership, and culture, um, but I, I believe that the soft infrastructure of the organization is the best place to start. That's the brand and the culture. If you establish a cultural posture inside your organization, a cultural posture of discernment, you can equip the entire organization with the right and the duty to be skeptical, to be curious, to trust, but verify. They can backmodel not only the data, but the, uh, the analysis tools themselves to see if it's providing the relevant signals or just a lot of noise and to what degree of each, right? So that you can test to figure out the ratio of clean data to kind of murky water, right? You can also consider the motivations and metrics and benefits to the source or the providers that, that have you thinking in their terms of how they frame the ideas to begin with. You can also consider your data consumption as a habit, as an organizational habit. Is the organization mindful of the data that it swallows and how much it's eating every day? Uh, does it eat the good stuff or is it eating everything on the table? These are, these are ways uh, to, to start that discussion and thinking about big data. Now, one of the things 
one of the things that a lot of the providers benefit from is these partnerships with all these other players in the big data, insights, analyses, and media space. They all cross-validate one another. And this, this is what causes that false sense of validation or truth in the models that are getting consumed. And so it's easy to fall for a solution that costs more than it should, that doesn't factor in all the costs of processing that data in order to leverage it and turn it into actionable results. Um, and this is something you have to watch out for. So anyway, be mindful. A cultural posture of discernment is what you want to set. This is the best way I can describe it. I know that seems high level, but it's important to equip your entire organization with that posture of discernment. This strategy has implications that tie in and align with uh, initiatives that you need to, in, in terms of training your leaders and teams to ensure they have got, you know, the rock solid shockproof shit detector, as Ernest Hemingway would put it. Right? They need to know how to understand and weed out statistical fallacies, fallacious conclusions, and quickly filter out and reject the nonsense from the get-go before it gets piloted inside the organization. So such an investment of that kind of training is so much smaller in comparison to the countless billions of dollars wasted on big data solutions that are causing a glut and a performance drag on organizations. You'll get better strategies and a heck of a lot more liberated resources that you can focus on elsewhere. So to conclude, equipping your organization with that kind of cultural posture of discernment ensures not only that your organization is resilient to the noise, but that it only invests in the lean and clean data tools from the outset. Now, if you'd like specific advice on the big data solutions and strategies that you're looking at for your organization, I highly recommend you check out our website at getheroic.com and you can book a cup of clarity session with myself or one of our professionals on our team, as well as the ever popular Heroic Insider Group, which right now we still have some free slots available for you to take advantage of. So check it all out at getheroic.com. That's G-E-T-H-E-R-O-I-K.com. That's all I got today. I hope this has been meaningful to you. I hope uh, some of it made sense. I hope it makes you ask all sorts of questions and uh, get out there and get mission ready for life. This has been another episode of the Heroic Hour podcast. I'm Nicholas McGill, Chief Experience Officer for Heroic Media. And now it is time to jam out. Thank you.